You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. This week on Wednesday, as I sat in my office and I began to um, put the message together, um, I had a chance to preview this uh, this video. And just so you know, Pastor Aaron really did make that box. <clears throat> you saw a complete, a complete work, a masterpiece. But as I was um, beginning to, to put the message together, uh, I, I, I had this sense, and it's been confirmed throughout the morning, that um, there's something that we want to make sure we don't miss. And part of the message is carried in this video, but I've, I've actually heard it all throughout everything we've done so far this morning. Um, there's something that God wants to make sure that we would understand. It could easily escape us because we're accustomed to just going from one thing to the next. But my sense was God just wanted us to pause for a moment. And and there's something he wants us to know. And this is what it is. Um, God wants us to know, to be reminded this morning, that he is the master craftsman. I'm going to say that again. God is the master craftsman. But not only is God the master craftsman, listen to this. I want you to hear this in a very personal way. God is your, your master craftsman. I'm going to say that again. God is your master craftsman. Now, I want you to just listen for a few moments. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There's one more passage that I want you to hear. This is from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God wants us, but I'm going to say it this way, God wants you to know. Um, God wants, I, I want as your pastor to have a very personal revelation this morning that God is your master craftsman. I want to say that again. God is your master craftsman. You know, we can um, have messages on the kingdom and messages on the Beatitudes and messages on the Holy Spirit and messages that lead to all kinds of spiritual growth and formation. But those messages will never take root and grow 
until we have this personal revelation that God is our master craftsman. And that God, and I want you to hear this, that God is taking the old parts of you. God is taking the old parts of you and he's reconstructing them into something new. Here's what I know. God has a plan for you. And actually, that plan is older than time itself. And as we submit and we surrender to the master craftsman, then we are becoming exactly what the master craftsman has in mind for us in that plan. Because what we can be assured of, again, is he's taking the old and he's reconstructing it into something new. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's actually a lifetime process. But here's what we know. God will not stop until he's finished. And so he would have us know today to be reminded that we are, you are his handiwork. You are his beautiful masterpiece. And God is in the process of reconstructing your heart. Um, before uh, it was time for me to come up, I, uh, I don't ever want to do something just because we did it last service. In fact, last service was actually very different than this service. And so I was just standing here and I'm just saying, Lord, is this, do you, is this a word for this, this group? And then uh, Carol McCall brought me this. And I thought, thank you, Lord, how, how sweet and how wonderful are. And, and it was just four lines that the Lord spoke to her for us today. And it says, you are mine. <laughs> as soon as I read that, I thought, God, you, are, you just confirm. You are mine. Listen to this. I have called you by name. Now, all the scriptures that I read to you a moment ago, I, I knew you before I formed you. I was in the womb Knitting your days together. We are God's workmanship. I have called you by name. <laughs> you belong to me. Come closer. Now, isn't it just like God to, to fit it all together? Today, because I already knew this, I'm listening to the songs that we're singing. I'm listening to what's going on in the service and all throughout, God is confirming this message. This was just, it, and we didn't sit in my office this week and say, let's plan out this message that'll say this. We just trusted God that we would put together the right uh, components for this service, and then we offer it to him. But today, God wants us to know in a very personal way that we are his masterpiece. And he's your master craftsman. I want to pray for you before we step into the message. Father, thank you. Thank you that you had a plan for us. You have a plan for us that is older than time itself. You knew us before we were ever formed in the womb. And then you were there in the womb, knitting us together, calendaring our days and you have a plan for us to give us a hope and a future to prosper us. 
And then you assure us that we are your handiwork. Thank you, Father. And so I pray today that we would each have a personal revelation of just who you are for us as individuals. And we thank you that you are the master craftsman and you are reconstructing our hearts, taking the old and reconstructing them into something new. And with that thanks, we just say that we pray this with thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I hope you received that. Uh, So now we can step into the message. So if you'll take out your teaching notes, you'll find them in your worship guide. And if you'll open up your Bibles, either in print or electronically to Matthew chapter 5. And when you get there, just hold your place. We'll come back to it in just a bit. This is our fifth week in our kingdom series. It's the third week for us to dig into the Beatitudes. Today, we're going to look at the final three Beatitudes. As we've been walking through the Beatitudes and through the kingdom series, really what we've affirmed is that when Jesus came into the world, he brought the kingdom of heaven down to earth. And when we surrender our lives to him, then we begin to live life as representatives of his kingdom. And and, and so our life uh, represents everything about us uh, is, is living a life representing the kingdom here on earth. So what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 was a way of life, is a way of life for kingdom citizens. What the group that followed him up on the mountainside heard that day were kingdom values and kingdom attitudes for kingdom citizens. And these values and these, uh, these attitudes were a radical contradiction to the values and the attitudes that they had learned and that they were living in, in the culture that they found themselves in. And guess what? The same is true today. What Jesus taught went and goes against Every natural instinct and represents a radical reversal of cultural values then and now. Do you hear that? It, it, everything about what Jesus is teaching, it is counter to our culture today. Our culture does not represent these values. If you recall, he taught things like happiness, contentment, spiritual prosperity comes through spiritual poverty. In other words, recognizing that you were morally bankrupt before God. And because of that, because of our sin, we desperately need God. And he taught things like uh, uh, prosperity, uh, spiritual contentment, happiness comes through mourning. Because when we mourn, we actually mourn over the sin that caused us to be morally bankrupt and in that morning comes repentance and then there's a call out Holy Spirit we need you to help us make the changes and then he taught that spiritual prosperity happiness contentment comes through meekness bringing every passion under the control of God and he taught that spiritual prosperity and contentment and happiness uh, comes through a deep hunger and thirst for personal holiness a God standard for living And then he taught that spiritual uh, prosperity, happiness, contentment comes when we live a life that's full of mercy to others. And again, these values were so different to the culture that to embrace them requires a reconstruction of the heart. And Jesus is using the Beatitudes as the tools 
for that reconstruction. I want you to follow along as I read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I realize we've read this passage the past two weeks, but I'm going to read it again today. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And those are all the Beatitudes that we've looked at so far. And then we read in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who were persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you they will persecute you Um, in verse 8 we find the sixth kingdom value blessed are they who are pure in heart for they will see God what is the kingdom truth what is the kingdom value that Jesus is revealing. Well, I thought I could maybe bring some light to this by just sharing a couple of examples. Um, So pre-COVID, back in the day, one of the things that Cammie and I used to do on Fridays is we would have a date at the movies. Remember that? Remember going to the movies? And we're looking forward to the time that we can do it again. But um, one of our traditions when we went to the movies is that we bought our ticket, we went in and we went right to the concession line, right? And in the concession line, we bought the large bucket of popcorn. Now, it was unbuttered because we wanted to stay healthy, right? (laughs) But we bought the large bucket of popcorn, and we bought a large soda because we were going to share all this. Diet soda, yes. We were going to stay healthy. And so we made our way to our seat, and this is how it went. That bucket of popcorn would go in Cammie's lap. We would take open a, a bag of peanut M&Ms that we had. Uh, now, by me saying that way, what I'm saying is we snuck the M&Ms into the movie <laughs> because we didn't want to take a loan out to buy them there. So if that's wrong, God forgive us. So, but the bag of M&Ms that we had, she would tear it open, and guess what she did? She poured it those peanut M&Ms into the, onto the top of the popcorn. And then my job was to take the bucket and shake it because we wanted to mix all of those peanut M&Ms all down in the popcorn. And so what we created was a mixture of sweet and savory. We created a mixture uh, of peanut M&M's and popcorn. And oh, it is so good if you've never done it. And then what happens is you find your... You then, then, then you find yourself kind of digging down. I got to find another peanut M&M. I got to find another peanut M&M. So it, it, it's so good. But I want you to hold on to that. The fact is that, let me ask you this question. Once we poured the M&M's into the popcorn, was it pure popcorn? No, it was mixed. It was a mixture. Hold on to that, okay? How many milk drinkers do we have in the room? I'm not talking almond milk. I'm talking like milk. Yeah. Uh, you can put your hands down. Um, so what if today I had a carton of whole milk, 100% milk, and I poured a glass of whole milk, and when I looked at it, I said, you know, I think that I want to add some water to that milk. Now, last service I said that, and everybody goes, ew. 
Here's a funny thing. When I was a kid growing up, there were times where money was tight in our house and my parents put water in the milk to make it last. Or there were times where we drank powdered milk, which was just powder and water that somehow was supposed to taste like milk. Uh, but if I take that water and I pour it in that pure whole milk, is that milk? Now, is that pure milk? No, it's not a trick question. No, it's a mixture. It's a, it's a mixture. Now, so hold on to that. That, that, that the popcorn and the milk are, are, are mixed. Now, I confess, I am not a scholar of the Greek language in any way. But I have learned over the years that there are tools that are available that can help me, can help you understand uh, what was meant uh, by the languages, Greek and Hebrew, that, that the Bible were written in. And so um, I used some of those tools this week. And what I found is when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, that word pure has two basic meanings. And, and the first is more external. It, it literally means physically clean, that it has no spot, no, it's not soiled in any way. Uh, and again, that, that's external. But there's also an internal message, and that's that it's free from impurities or it's not mixed. Free from impurities or not mixed. And Jesus is drawing from that second meaning as he uh, uh, declares this, this beatitude. And I wonder... If perhaps Jesus had in mind the Pharisees when he declared this beatitude. I want you to listen to uh, Matthew chapter 23, um, verse 27, 28. It says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You look like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people to, as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus, in this, what I just read, was comparing the Pharisees to the whitewashed tombs that you found in Jerusalem. Here's a little of the background. Just prior to Passover, um, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, uh, the tombs that were in the city, they would actually go through and they would whitewash or they would paint white those tombs. And the reason they did it is because as people were coming into the city for Passover, they wanted to make sure uh, that they could see them and not touch them. And then if they touched them, they would become accidentally unclean and unable to, to participate in the Passover. And Jesus, again, he's comparing uh, the Pharisees to these, these whitewashed tombs he said, on the outside, you look beautiful. You have this great appearance. But on the inside, you're just like those tombs. What's in those tombs is dead. It's full of dead bones. In other words, he was saying, your outside is undivided from your inside. Externally, they presented themselves as fully righteous people. But on the inside, internally, there was something different going on. Uh, they were mixed in their motives. They were mixed in their devotion to God. They were more um, devoted to their, to their self than they were to God. Their focus was on looking good and being religious. And so uh, they had divided motives. They had a divided heart. So listen, this is what Jesus is saying in this beatitude. 
Blessed are those whose heart and motives are undivided and unmixed. Blessed are those who are pure, not only on the surface, but at the very core, at the center of your activity. Blessed are those who are the same in public as they are in private. Blessed are those who are the same on the outside as they are on the inside. In other words, he's saying, don't be divided in your devotion to God and your commitment to the kingdom. When Jesus speaks of pure in heart, he's implying a heart that is single and undivided in its focus on, its devotion to, and its motivation for God. He wasn't just speaking that to that crowd on the mountainside that day. That's what he's calling out to us. Be undivided. Do not be mixed as kingdom citizens. Be fully devoted. And what's the blessing? He says the blessing is you will see God. You will see God. When we live with an undivided, fully devoted heart, we constantly, let's say we clear out the clutter. And when the clutter's gone and we're living a life pure in heart, it's not perfection, but it's the clutter's gone. So we constantly, continuously see God at work in our lives, but we can also see God at work all around us because we're single-minded. We're committed to the kingdom. So my question to you this morning is, are you undivided? Are you unmixed in your devotion to God? Have you ever been involved in conversation with someone? Let's say maybe uh, before church today, you were standing face to face with somebody out here in the lobby or outside. And uh, you're talking to them and you are fully engaged in the conversation and you realize that the person you're talking to is not because somebody passes oh hi how are you and they look at their watch and they're kind of just fidgeting you can tell they're not fully engaged their their attentions are divided it's the same thing for us god's saying Please don't be divided in your attention to me, your focus on me, because I'm not divided in my focus, my attention to you. It, it, it's, it's a mutual thing. In verse 9, we find the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In understanding what this beatitude is, uh, is, is saying what Jesus is focusing on, I think we have to understand what Jesus uh, isn't focusing on. In this beatitude, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who have a peaceful disposition. And he didn't say, blessed are those who are peaceful. Those are more personality driven. Now, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't deny that, but just for a moment, think those are things that are kind of personality driven, peaceful, you know, peaceful disposition. Jesus isn't focusing on a personality trait. He's focusing on an action, an attitude, a value that should be held by kingdom citizens. And the actions, he's saying, blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are peacemakers. Uh, again, in the original language, peacemaker comes from a word which means to bind together something that's broken or divided. Jesus is talking about a kingdom value in which kingdom citizens actively intervene to bind together divided relationships. Listen to this. Peacemakers 
actively work to help two people who hold different opinions become willing to turn towards each other and embrace one another despite their differences. I think that that is so important right now for the time we're living in. There are so many different opinions in our world. There always has been, but it seems like it's escalated right now. And I won't even begin to make the list of what those are because you know. And so we live in a time where there's great division. And here's the sad part of it. In this time, in this season, we're living in a time where there's division in the church. And God is calling us to be peacemakers. That's what kingdom citizens do. That in the midst of our differing opinions, that we could still turn and face one another and embrace one another despite the differing opinions. You say it's not possible. Yes, it is. Everything's possible with God. And that when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're empowered with a power like nothing else. This is possible. Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. What else does the Bible say about making peace? This kingdom value. I, 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 I want to tell you. Psalm 34, 14 says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Proverbs 12.20 says, Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 said, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Hebrews 12.14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible. And I think that that's very important. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. So where does the responsibility lie? As far as it depends on you and me, live at peace with everyone. So very clearly, Scripture confirms that we're called to be peacemakers in the kingdom. Is there any disagreement with that? No. It, it's, it's here. Now, what we have to realize is our ability to make peace isn't about having good negotiation or mediation skills. Those are important, and they can help in peacemaking. But what we have to realize is that those are only effective through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Those are only effective through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, as peacemakers, what we do is we bring the story, we bring the message, we bring the truth of Jesus into the situation. What we're really doing is we're giving away what we've received and what we've experienced. Right? Because we were separated from God. We had a broken relationship with God because of sin. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came and reconciled us to God as a peacemaker. And now we have peace with God and we have the peace of God. And it's all through Jesus. So as peacemakers, our first and our foremost responsibility is to share the gospel 
of peace so that people can be reconciled to God. So we encounter people all the time who we know that they're in a broken relationship because they've never really entered into a restored relationship with God. So we have a responsibility to share God's story, the story of Jesus, so they can be reconciled. But we also are to bring the gospel of peace into relationships that are at odds or are broken. Now, if you think about it, uh, this is all about reflection. Because the, the, the blessing is you will be called the children of God. So again, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Bible tells us that. Um, Jesus is the exact image of the Father. So that means that God the Father is peace. So when we are peacemakers... As kingdom citizens, we're actually a reflection of the Father. We're a reflection of the Father. Peacemakers are recognized as God's children because they reflect His image and they share God's passion for peace and reconciliation. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing at making peace? I want you to think first about your own personal relationships. Are there relationships that are broken and there needs to be reconciliation? And are you aware of other relationships around you that are broken? And as a peacemaker, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you would be able to intervene and bring those broken parties together through the story of Jesus Christ. I want you to just consider that for a moment. Now, I have a disclaimer. I, I really feel like I need to say this. There are some relationships. Listen, there are some relationships that peacemaking has to do with forgiveness. But because those relationships physically are unsafe, that doesn't mean that there will be a reconciliation in the relationship. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you, even if it costs your life, because there are certain situations where relationships can be toxic and, and, and um, abusive. And so that peace has to be something that you work out between you and God. I just want to make sure you understand. I'm going to talk about the last beatitude. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to say much about this, but I want us to consider uh, how the apostles died. How did they die? Well, the Bible only tells us uh, about the death of two of the apostles, James and Judas. So, biblically, we don't know how the other apostles died, but we can look at reliable historical accounts and what we can tell from those uh, accounts, it would appear that all the apostles, with the exception of John, who it appears he died of old age, all of the other apostles uh, died brutal deaths, deaths of agony. You know why? Because of the God they chose to serve and the life they chose to live. They lived as kingdom citizens who are fully committed, fully devoted to the values of the kingdom. They were steadfast in that. 
And because of that, they suffered a martyr's death. All of them that we could tell with the exception of John. Um, the, the values, the attitudes that they lived out, as we've noted, are, they weren't celebrated in the culture. But here's a newsflash. I think you already know this. The values in the culture, uh, the values and the attitudes that Jesus is calling us to as kingdom citizens, they're not valued in our culture today. They are a rat- radical contradiction. And so to choose to live out these kingdom values and attitudes cause, uh, calls for a radical reversal. We have to be counterculture. That means we live differently. I've heard it referred to as the upside-down kingdom because life is so different. But actually, it's the right-side-up kingdom, right? That's, that's the truth. Um, blessed are the persecuted. The blessing comes that when we um, choose to live by these values, we will see the kingdom of God. But I also want you to know that these kingdom values... They are a setup for persecution. Now, in our, um, our Western culture that we live in, particularly in America, I don't know that we really know what it means to be persecuted because we live for the gospel. Um, we read about the persecuted church in other countries, but I don't know that we've experienced it more, but I want to tell you, we're getting closer and closer to it every day because our world is, is changing. And so we need to understand that as we continue to choose to live by these kingdom values, they're a setup for persecution. And that persecution uh, can be physical or it can be verbal. Insults, slander, hatred, verbal abuse, all because of what you choose to stand for. And in some cases, I think it could lead to physical persecution. And again, I think we're getting closer and closer and closer to that. So maybe this is a strange way to end this message, but I want to ask you a question today. Are you a candidate for persecution? As you consider these kingdom values, are you a candidate for persecution? Are you living your life in such a way that it is a radical contradiction to the values of the culture that we live in? Um, Are the values of the kingdom so evident in your life that you uh, are a candidate for persecution? Because here's the deal. That should be true for all of us. I want you to just close your eyes. Bow your heads. I want you to just think about that. Ask yourself that question. Jesus, thank you for your words you've given us, your truth that you've given us through your very first sermon. Thank you for the words, the truths that we've 
we, we hear in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Thank you for revealing to us these kingdom values and kingdom attitudes. Father God, I think it would be safe to say that for all of us, we can identify areas where uh, we say, Holy Spirit, we need you. Um, There's some changes that we need to make. And so we ask today that in those areas that you would just reveal to us um, the changes that need to be made. And then we call out to you the master craftsman who is taking the old and reconstructing it into something new. And we say thank you for reconstructing our heart. And thank you for the tools that you're using to do it, your word. And so we submit to you, we surrender to you today. And I'm just going to say, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we would not be surprised when we're persecuted for the sake of the gospel. May it be. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask a question I ask every week, and I'm going to keep on asking it. Is there anybody here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior? You've never said yes to Him. And something's happening in your heart today and you want to commit your life to Him. You want to be reconciled to God through the peace of Jesus Christ that happened on the cross. Jesus died in your place so that you could be reconciled to God, be forgiven of your sin and have eternal life. And the Bible says, basically, you just say, I believe. You say, yes, yes, I believe. And and confess that, and your life starts all over. So is there anybody here today that you would just, uh, everybody's head's bowed and eyes closed. You just lift up your hand and say, that's me. Today, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want a relationship with him. Is there anybody? Anybody at all? Father, thank you for the kingdom citizens that are here in this room today and that have gathered throughout the morning. And I pray that as we go, as kingdom citizens, we would represent your kingdom uh, and we would declare the story of Jesus because we encounter people every day who don't know you, that we would be bold and courageous to ask questions and to share the gospel story. And Father God, we ask that you send people to us that we could tell that story on the weekends so that we could see your kingdom grow. And we say today that we will live as kingdom citizens. Help us, Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.